0: We were racing against time to tie the knots. I mean, I was pre-hypothermic. I was losing the control of my hands. and so It was very cold. I, I tied the knot for Brenda's pull, and I was hoping I still had enough for me. And, of course, we were shaking uncontrollably with wet clothes, and uh, it wasn't real sunny at the time, but we got as sunny as we could and took all our clothes off.
1: Well, our friends are on the other side of the river, so it was okay. Yep. <laughs> I'm Rebecca Huntington. You're listening to The Fine Line, real stories of adventure, risk, and rescue in the backcountry of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, with support from the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole. Backcountry Zero is a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation. You can support this project and the Teton County Search and Rescue volunteers by making a donation today. Visit www.TetonCountySAR.org slash donate. If you like listening to The Fine Line, share us with a friend. Chuck and Brenda Markham were vacationing with friends when they decided to kayak the Buffalo Fork River. The most experienced kayaker in the group, Steve Fritz, took the lead. But what they didn't know that day was that the river was pushing flood stage, running much faster than usual for July. All the runoff had flushed woody debris into the river, creating a maze of strainers and log jams that snagged and stranded some of the boaters. Teton County Search and Rescue volunteers Casey Bess and Cody Lockhart rode to the rescue, while the rest of the team scouted a safe takeout.
0: I'm Steve Fretz, Fresno, California.
2: I'm Brenda Markham, Fresno, California. And
0: I'm Chuck Markham from Fresno, California.
2: And Chuck and I are married, 38 years tomorrow. (laughs) And Steve Fred, we've known him for, gosh, over 30 years probably. We've done many activities with him over the years. S-
0: skiing, backpacking, kayaking.
3: We originally met in the Sierra Club, actually. And the rest of the group on this kayak trip were friends of friends or whatever. Anyway, we sort of got to know each other in the Yosemite winter clubs. Uh, one of the, the people on the trip, uh, her sister has a house back in Turpin Meadows. There's eight of us, uh, four couples that... Uh, joined them for a week there in the Tetons, and we end up hiking and kayaking. Everybody brought their kayaks, and one of the day trips happened to be uh, a trip down the Buffalo
4: Fork. So my name is Casey Bess. I've been on Teton County Search and Rescue for about three and a half years now. I've been uh, a longtime raft guide here in the valley. is my 17th summer. So I started in 2001, and I teach swiftwater rescue. And the Buffalo Fork is uh, fairly flat, low gradient river, It's a lot of meanders. It uh, kind of goes through open fields and timbered areas. I think the biggest thing is it's got a few braids in it and then a lot of wood. There's there's quite a bit of uh, downfall and things that flush out of the wilderness area and and end up hung up in that area. So last year was a huge snow year, and as it ran off, it kind of held out a lot longer than we typically have uh, high runoff. And so it did edge into July, uh, a little further downstream on the Snake River which the Buffalo Fork's a tributary to we had one of the highest recorded years ever it was in the top 10 and the highest year that since i've been here uh, in 2002 so it was a, it was a big year and, and things just kept coming out of that area and that's really at that the Buffalo Fork drains really high country that takes a long time to melt off so it was it was running high it was up in the in the grass and just just barely starting to recede from the peak we
3: did check it out and we did where I drive it along the road and looked as much that we could. But, you know, it sort of departs from the road and it goes around. I think the, there's a reservoir up in there or something. So we weren't able to, to really get a good visual of it.
4: Yeah, it'd be like a, a class one float. just has some technical moves to get around some of the debris and, and logs that are hung up. Yeah, I think it's a, a good place to go. But when it's pushy and with wood moving around and changing, it, it can be a little tricky
3: yeah, it doesn't have a lot of rapids on it at all. In fact, I think it's fairly flat water in that sense. But, but it moves fairly fairly fast. It was moving at a at a much faster pace. And, and
2: there were strainers too.
3: Strainers and snags and yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. It was a clear day. I think it was sunny. We had talked about doing a section of the Snake River that year. It was running at a higher rate than my wife and I had done it a year before that, I think. And it was a much lower lower level. So. I was thinking, well, the buffalo is, you know, a smaller river, and it'd probably be a little easier to do for everybody, which was an error. Uh, sh- sort of a shortness of time, we end up basically just going up and, and getting in at the bridge just below the dude ranch there, Trippin Meadows Dude Ranch. And so that's where we put in, just below the bridge. We parked a car, and the other guy, actually, that that didn't go, that bailed on us, was going to pick us up down below at the, at the lower end. Anyway, we were going to get out sort of right there where we got in right by the bridge it looked like it was sort of cut with a knife and was real deep right along the bank and so we put in in the grass and I pushed people off that uh, into the river and then they just sort of hung on to a brush until I could get in and I was sort of in the lead. That's how it started and I said you know to, to warned people that they needed to stay on the inside of the bends when they went around because the The strainers and the snags and stuff tend to be on the the outside of the bend. It proved to be true. These are wilderness tsunami kayaks, and they're a a sit-in type. There's two types of kayaks. One you sit on that has sort of a floatable base, and a lot of those are rentals. You know, you can't sink them, basically. These will, if you fill up with water, oftentimes they'll sink eventually. I mean, they'll stay afloat for a while, but... You sit in them and and your your knees are sort of up under the gunnels so that that gives you some stability. The problem with these are is that and, and particularly sit on tops is that when you lean back on the seat, your center of gravity raises up, so that when you start to tip, you're actually going to flip over much easier than if you lean forward and all your weight is on the bottom. And I think that's just another technique or, a, you know, something that you, that you pick up from experience. And it's counterintuitive because what happens is that when you when you get into trouble, you know, the anxiety kicks in and then you, you end up sort of bracing yourself and you push back. And then what happens is you go over right. as opposed to leaning forward, which then gives you a lot more stability in this particular kayak. And I think maybe also in sit-on tops. But these are sit-ins. They're, they were 12, 12 and a half foot uh, tsunamis, and they have a have a keel on them, basically a real small keel. But they're they're an angled boat, and and so they they're real stable. They they don't feel stable, and sometimes when you get in them, because you you're sort of back and forth. But you have to really uh, lean to one side or the other before they tip over. But when you do, they take on water, and you can also get you know water in the and the hatches up front and and back, they're not sealed tight. They're a touring kayak, basically. They're okay for the lakes, and, you know, I've had them out in the ocean and a lot of different places, but they're not, they don't make a quick turn because of the keel and the length of the boat.
0: We had only got down maybe a mile, a mile and a half. My wife was behind me, and I was becoming concerned and told her she needed to get in front of me but in case something happened, and it probably wasn't a few minutes later that she did end up into the strainer. Having been married to her at that time, what, 37 years, I know her quite well and I knew that I had to be with her in that situation and not go down further and try to get out and come back. And so I had to uh, launch my kayak right above hers, a couple feet away from her to help her. I was I was sort of out in front and I was
3: trying to keep an eye on people behind me and I, I ended up seeing Brenda or get too far in the outer, outer part of the bend, there were two down trees that had needles on them and they were sticking upriver uh, along the bank about six feet out. And I saw her heading for one of those and I heard her scream. And that's when she went over, I think. And then at that point, I went down below the, the strainer and the snags and was able to get out down below there. I was able to find a spot where I could would get out and, and crawl up the bank. And by that time, both she and Chuck were in the water holding on to the to these... Uh, Probably a lodgepole pine. Yeah, lodgepole pines that were sticking upriver. So then I went and got a rope and threw it out and and Brenda tied it around her and pulled her in. And then same with Chuck. And uh, they dried off and took their
0: clothes off. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, that's, uh, yeah, that's another part of the story.
0: We, 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 were, uh, we were racing against time to tie the knots. I mean, I was... Pre-hypothermic, I was losing the control of my hands, and so it
2: was very cold. I,
0: I tied the knot for Brenda's pull, and I was hoping I still had enough for me. And Steve pulled us out, and actually, it's quite easy to walk through dense woods barefoot when your feet are totally numb. You can't <laughs> feel anything. <laughs> yeah, the adrenaline's there.
2: <laughs> I probably should not have gone in the water. I was kind of hesitant. I probably. Um, was not comfortable with it but I just thought well I'll just go ahead anyway that was probably my biggest mistake usually I know my limits I'm pretty good about that but in this instance I did not know my limits I should not have gone in but we started off and there you are we're already out there and then I got a little bit nervous I I, it's not that I wasn't strong as much as it was that I just didn't read the water correctly I think that was the big issue coming around abandoned I'm glad that Chuck had me go ahead of him because I think it would have been a it could have been a different story had he not been behind me. When I got into that area of the water, I was following one of the persons ahead of me and watching him, and then just didn't read it right, I guess. So I got out of the groove, I guess you could say, and that's when I got sucked into the strainer. It just felt to me like my kayak just slipped out from under me. Chuck said he pulled it out out of the way. And it went downriver, and one of the persons in our party managed to grab it, which was good, because we had, like, a um, one of those ropes on the kayak to... On the bow tie or whatever. So so here I am. I'm I'm kind of hanging on to this tree there, getting sucked in and feeling pu- like I'm getting pulled down. I didn't realize Chuck was there. You know, I, did, I didn't know anything uh, that he was there. And then all of a sudden, I, I saw that he was there, and I felt better. But I just felt like I was getting sucked under, and it was a really... <laughs> It's like, okay, this is it. It felt like it was in my upper chest. Wouldn't you say, Chuck? I felt like I was going under, and then I kind of came back up, and then I was getting pulled down under.
0: Well, we were probably in the water, I would guess, about 20 minutes total, wouldn't you say? Yeah, think? maybe, maybe not. Yeah, 15 maybe, yeah. Yeah, because... I
2: mean, to be cold.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Brenda's
0: kayak, she fell out. It was actually kind of hanging around further up on the tree. It was getting in the way of me and my kayak, so I had to take it and push it out into the current, and I hollered, hoping one of our friends on the other side of the river would have me. We couldn't see them, but they did, and they were able to snag it. And my kayak, I ran into problems, because it dumped over and it was crushing me, knocking the wind out of my uh, lungs, so I had to push it away, and luckily it got hung up on the snag down the river, on the same side of the river. When I went back over, I I said, "Well, we were able to snag Brenda's
3: kayak, and uh, so you know the choice would be is to pull it back up across the river and uh, and then just continue on."
2: And I wasn't going to do that.
3: Brenda says, "I'm not getting. I'm not going back." And then I didn't didn't want to
2: call search and rescue either.
3: No no, no paddles either. I didn't have a paddle, so. So, you know, I said, well, you know, the only option is to call search and rescue them because it's, you know, there's just no way else to get out. And so that's that's sort of what we did. I went back and talked to Jane, and the other option, um, she and uh one of the other fellows that that was along that actually snagged Brenda's kayak. We had all gotten out down below on a gravel bar and and waited there. Jane and uh and Mark, that was the other fella, decided to walk back up to the road and see how far it was and whether we could carry the kayaks back up that way. And it turned out to be a lot rougher than than we imagined. It took them probably about an hour and a half to get up there. And it's grizzly territory, too. They had to hike through willows and a real thick stand of pine, and they got all scratched up and all that. When they got to the road, I think uh, that's when they saw the search and rescue guys coming in.
4: Uh, this happened to be on a, a Wednesday and so I was at work taking care of some projects and the call came in and uh, we all responded to the hangar, got the kind of information and realized that everybody was heads up and just kind of stranded. So we drove up to Turpin Meadows, which is about almost an hour from town. We were able to to kind of pinpoint where they were calling from with their cell phone location. We had to kind of do a little overland uh, boat launch where we carried the boats through some some bushes. and things to get to the channel and we were able to put in a little side channel that was flowing because of the high water and so the average for uh, July 12th is just over a thousand CFS and that day in uh, 2017 it was 3,000 CFS.
2: Oh, oh wow, wow. Yeah, yeah it was a lot more. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. Cody and myself ended up being the two that got on the cataract. Traveled downstream, it, it, it was probably only a 10 minute float from the truck down to right where they were at. We kind of popped into the main channel and all of a sudden they were right there. So there's a big, what we call a sweeper, where there's a tree sticking out above the water that kind of forces you over to the left side of the river. That puts you above the, the strainer. So we had to kind of go around that and, and cut back to the um, to the right. And I think that's probably what happened a little bit with uh, Brenda as well, is, is that kind of forces mm-hmm. you over there and you had to make a hard move back to the right to avoid the strainer.
3: Right. When someone is on a fast water particularly you're unfamiliar with, particularly a faster river than you're used to doing, you tend to sort of wait to the last second to to make a decision. And on something like like the Buffalo and other fast rivers that I've been on, you have to sort of pick out your route and make a choice and decide well upriver. You know, you can't wait to the last second for that to happen because then it's too late. I think that's another thing to keep in mind particularly for uh, inexperienced kayakers that you know haven't done faster water.
4: So we were able to, to eddy out behind the strainer. They'd already gotten themselves out, and I think that was the, the big part of that rescue for sure, was getting out of the water, getting ashore, and then, and then rewarming.
0: We, we got uh, out, and of course we were shaking uncontrollably with wet clothes, and uh, it wasn't real sunny at the time, but we got as sunny as we could and took all our clothes off.
2: Well, our friends were on the other side of the river, so it was okay. Yep.
0: That's, <laughs> that's why there's no pictures.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, we,
2: we, They were, we were threatening us. We're like, no, don't do it. <laughs> so we had to air our clothes out over bushes. And so in the meantime, we're, we're making jokes because we're like, okay, great. Now now that we survived this river thing, now, now there's going to be a grizzly bear coming after us. And we had to make some kind of joke.
3: <laughs> well, I, I had gone across the... Pick up Brenda's kayak and and sort of bring it upstream and then and then try to to get it over to him because Chuck had his there when Brenda said no way. <laughs> I decided to go ahead and just leave it on that side and stay on that side. So I was on I was on the opposite side when the, when you guys got there.
4: We ended up tying their kayak to the back of the cataract just across the tube, so it was out of the water, and then we put both Chuck and Brenda on the cataraft and buried across, got the group reunited and made some plans about how we were going to get everybody from that point out. Pretty thick willows and, and difficult travel to go overland. So after some discussion and deciding that it wasn't going to be very feasible or, or easy to get back to the road via land, we had Brenda right on the cataraft with us and we took some additional kayaks that were there from the group that had hiked out.
3: Yeah, I think we ended up going down a little ways and then it, and it seemed like the gradient started to drop a little bit, and as we went around a bend, I think I saw there was a big sort of bluff on the on the uh, on the left side. And we, as we went around that, I think Casey and and Cody basically said to stay behind the cataract, and um, that would be sort of the safest place. We all ha- end up having to backpedal a little bit to stay behind them, and so that sort of got real frustrating. And as we came around that bend, this was down, I don't know, maybe a mile or so downriver. It seemed to me that the cataract had got outside of the bend a little bit. And one of the people that was with us, Mark's wife, Betsy, was actually being a good girl. <laughs> and she stayed behind the raft. Chuck and I and my wife, Lynn, we sort of cut off on the inside of the bend and went down and got, actually got in front of the in front of the raft going through that rapid and Betsy was sort of staying behind and, and was on the outside. kept an eye on her and I, I got halfway down through that run and there was a gravel bar at the bottom and I think I stopped there, Chuck and I stopped there and, and Lynn. And I, I looked back and the raft was coming down and she was sort of out on the far left side. I, I yelled at them that she's not going to make this turn within, geez, I don't know, 20, 20 seconds or less. Casey and Cody had actually pulled the raft behind the snag pile, or the strainer. One of them jumped out, and was, he was up to his shoulders, I think, in water, and just pulled himself up on the bank straight up and went straight across the log jam and grabbed Betsy. And she was just going down for the third time, and I don't think she would have made it. Her kayak actually got up on the on the wood there. She didn't lose her kayak.
2: Sitting in that cataract and watching them, both you, Casey and and Cody, were incredible. We were so grateful that you were there just to see you guys moving as fast as you did. I I was really amazed how fast you guys were in that water and and taking care of Betsy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Betsy wouldn't be here. (laughs) Yeah.
4: We were trying to keep everybody behind us just to kind of route find a little bit. It was pretty straightforward at first and then it did start to get a little steeper and faster and there was a big uh, sweeping uh, right bend with a kind of a bluff on the on the left bank, and, and that was causing a, a huge log jam. There was probably 50 to 100 logs in this in this corner, and there was also a big root ball in the kind of in the middle of the channel. And so so Cody was rowing, and we with the cataract we weren't as nimble as the, the kayak. So uh, I think uh, quite a few people went on the inside of the the big root ball, and we had to kind of sneak around the outside of the bend. Betsy was following us, so as we went around. Um, I was watching back to see how things went and it became apparent that she wasn't going to be able to pull away from the log jam. So she uh, hit the log jam broadside, that dumped her out of the boat and the boat hung up but she got swept down a little bit and she was trying to hold onto the boat. That pulled her into the log jam so she was hanging on with her arms, starting to submerge. Cody was rowing as hard as he could to get to the left shore. I ended up throwing my radio onto the cataract, jumping off. and making the last couple swim moves, and then running upstream. And I just remember thinking how difficult it was to to run over all these logs and um, get there as fast as I could. So it was it was a lot of scrambling over logs, and finally got to where I could see Betsy and, and was able to reach down and grab her. She had her head just out of the water and uh, able to kind of stabilize her and, and then start pulling her up and, and working her feet out from underneath. She was doing pretty well, but she was she was spooked, and and it wouldn't have taken too long before she got cold and tired again.
2: I remember when I was on the cataract with you guys, and we just started, you know, going on the river there. And you you had mentioned that you had just finished some kind of a training exercise program, like a couple of days before. I said, "Well, that's great." And there you got it again. You had to put yourself in action right there.
0: Yeah, I'm but... sure
2: Betsy would say the same. Oh, thing. Oh
0: yeah, <laughs> I'm glad uh, Mark, her husband, walked out so he didn't have to. See his wife in such a situation where he couldn't really help her because she's on the other side of the river. It was quite scary just as a friend.
4: Yeah. That yeah. Yeah. Cody Cody ended up right behind me and, and was able to kind of help us as, uh, get her the rest of the way out and, and across the logs. It was deep. It, um, we had to kind of hop around on the logs and, and go from pool to pool. Like I said, this thing was probably 30 or 40 feet wide worth of logs. So it was, it was a bit of a mess.
2: The pocket of her, of her jeans or something got tripped up into the, the the log. Somehow or another, it was catching, and that was a deterrent. So maybe they had yeah. to rip it to get it out.
4: That's what I seem to remember as well, yeah. Her, her pant pocket was keeping yeah. her from being pocket able to get pulled jeans. up pocket very easily. Yeah. yeah, it happened really fast. So I was, I was moving as quick as I could, but th- there was limitations as how quickly you can move across that kind of, those obstacles. So, yeah, trying to be there as quick as possible, but not getting in trouble myself. And knowing that Cody's right there behind me, and then these guys were downstream. It really helped. It was like, I just got to get hands on her and hold her up out of the water until I can get more help. We kind of regrouped. We were able to get Betsy's boat downstream. She felt like she was uh, doing well, so so she paddled out the rest of the way. The whole time we were traveling, we were working with the rest of our team who were on the road trying to figure out where we were going to get to and what the easiest access points were. They were helping to reunite the party, that people that hiked out. After we had that second close call, we decided we probably better just get off uh, off the water, and so we went downstream just a little further, headed out on the right. you are able to communicate with our team on the radio. They were able to find us a road that came down, so we had to hike the boats out. It was it was a bit of a, a bit of work um, hiking things out. So we ended up on um, some land on uh, private landowners' land.
3: Official mayor of Turpin Meadows. Yes, the
4: unofficial mayor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kind of Chester,
2: lucky yeah. getting through there, but we managed.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was a kind of a uh, just a clearing in the willows that we were able to to walk through. And we took the kayaks out first and then got the cataraft, hiked that out. He was gracious enough to let us bring the vehicles down and get everybody out and, and reunited at that
3: This is Chester, the unofficial mayor of Turpin Meadows, was sort of looking at my wife and he said, what the hell are you doing here? He said, what are you doing on the river? He said, he said, I had a sort of niece or nephew or Neeson, somebody was killed in, on the river. Oh,
2: yeah, he scolded us. He, he was really upset. mad. Well, yeah, because somebody had died on, on the buffalo yeah. that he knew. So And, and I, I can see where he was real upset because having seen what we had just done, it's like, what are you guys doing out here, you know?
0: We suffered a few California jokes from him, but it was worth it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then he brought out the light beer, so everything
3: was, was fine. <laughs> Well, you got to realize we're all seniors, and so... Well, not all of us. Brenda's, you know, young. Well, she was only 59 then, so... (laughs) (laughs) But the dementia had actually set in, so that explains why we were on the river. In in our group, there was no real designated leader, although, you know, I sort of assumed that responsibility, but it didn't give me sort of the authority to sort of indicate, you know, what, what I thought about people's abilities. What I want to suggest is that any group that goes down... Have a designated leader that that person knows the kayak abilities of everybody that's going to go on the river, including their strengths and weaknesses and their skills. And I think that would eliminate some problems. The mistake we made was not being familiar with the river. And I think, you know, before anybody goes on one that's at flood stage, they they really need to have gone down it at, at least at normal normal flow or lower flows. So that they know how to read the river and and what's ahead, that they're familiar with with all the strainers and the the snags that are there. A Number of us had cell phones and watertight bags. That's probably really important.
2: Except mine didn't do me any good because my kayak was down the river with the yeah, phone in it, yeah. so that didn't do much good.
3: I've had that trouble on the Kings here out you know out in California here and. The same thing happened, but I end up carrying it in a small bag in my life jacket. And so that you have it on you, including a whistle and and whatever necessary things that you have. And I don't know that a map would have really helped us with this river. I mean, it would have, you know, given us some sense of direction, but it doesn't give you the gradient and it doesn't give you where the snags are and all that stuff. So I think it's really important that anyone that's going to run a river should have done it uh, at a lower flow.
4: I think those are all really good suggestions. As as a Swiftwater instructor, that, those are some of the big things we point out. Those are soft skills is designate a designated leader, and uh, a lot of times you're right, it does default to the person who makes the call to to organize the trip. Um, uh-huh. and, and being familiar with your crew and, and going at their pace, and yeah, those communication devices, you can't just rely on one. You can put it in a bag and hide it, you know, so you're not interfering with your experience, but when you need it, that's key to be able to to get help and communicate what the nature of the emergency and, and situation is.
3: With a cell phone, you know, you never know if you're going to get restrained. Right. but, you know, a lot of times if you, you know, walk 10 feet or half a mile or, you know, one over thing to the other, you can you usually get a signal. So it's really a lifesaver, and it was for us this time.
4: The other thing that's that's really key that, that you guys are being really modest is that y- you being able to effect your own rescue is really important for water-type uh, environments. Had we had to respond an hour uh, while Brenda was hanging onto a log, you know, the oh, outcome yeah. could have been no. drastically different.
2: Oh yeah, it could have been a whole different story for sure.
3: Another thing I would do
2: differently would be get a different rope. I want, you
3: know, I, I plan to get one that floats and that's a thicker and doesn't knot up as much. The one I had was like about a three-eighths of an inch or something. I mean, and it got tangled up when I was throwing it out to him. And it took me some time to unravel it to get chuck out. You know, if you have one that doesn't sort of knot up and get all tangled up, and the one that actually floats on the water, this one sank, I think, actually. And,
2: it worked uh, out. It did the trick. <laughs> yeah, it did
3: the trick. But but I think in, in retrospect, that would be another thing that I'd,
0: I'd do differently.
2: And yep. I'm glad that we had those tie ropes on our, our kayaks so that way Mark could grab the kayak. That was yeah. a good thing that we did have that anyway.
0: I'm thankful that Steve did have the rope. Because the next option, I was on the log upstream from Brenda. The next option, I thought, was to go out around her and try to get over to the snag below us. But I didn't know whether I would be able to get up on it or go under it or not what. So I didn't want to take the chances because it was just an iffy thing if I could get out for sure. And then if I did, I'd have to have her release the log and float down to me. So I was thankful for the rope.
4: Yeah, I think you're on the right thing where you want to approach somebody from the downstream side of the the obstacle they're caught on, just to kind of limit your exposure. And I understand why you did what you did to to get to her and help stabilize her. But yeah, getting behind there and be able to stabilize and and help somebody that can be a challenge in itself. And yeah, yeah. you're right on the rope. It's um, you know I think that's something that we all take with us a lot of times, but but actually. Getting it out and using it and, and seeing how it performs and, and being familiar with that can be a big difference. So I, I really encourage people to throw it each time they go out and just repack it so that it's they're used to it and, and get some practice.
2: Yeah, just knowing your limits, and um, that, was, that was a big thing for me. I, I suppose I could have followed my instincts a little bit better. I just felt like, oh, I'll just go for it and, you know. It wasn't a good idea
3: this time. I just want to say thank you to Cody and uh, Casey uh, again because it was they, they just did a tremendous job and they uh, they both were really professionals.
0: So. Both both of them and the, their backup team. And the backup. Yeah, uh, you guys were, yeah. We're, were truly all awesome.
2: amazing. Yeah. We are so appreciative of what you did.
4: Yeah, it really was a team effort. Everybody was uh, there was a lot going on in the background um, to make sure that we could. Uh, to get you guys out of there, and and then with the change of plans, it, it, uh, everybody moved quick to make it happen. So yeah, it was a, a big group effort.
0: It was. It was. It impressed our friend that was having the milkshake. He was starting to be a little concerned seeing all these emergencies. Yeah, was what was going on. <laughs>
2: you know, what's happening?
3: <laughs> and I guess the, the the last lesson would be uh, rather than getting on the river to stay at home and have a beer. <laughs> 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 That's not a good lesson. <laughs>
1: This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.